0: get your first book for just 9.99 by using the code chirp CHIRP one more time that's bookofthemonth.com use the code chirp and get reading
1: Hey you guys, today's episode is brought to you by LitBreaker. LitBreaker is an online advertising network serving the culture web. If you have a good or a service
0: that appeals to people who like books, movies, music, art, photography, etc., go to LitBreaker.com and find out how you can advertise online to
1: these people. You can reach them directly via a vast web of great culture sites including the Paris Review, the Nervous Breakdown, the Rumpus, Large Hearted Boy, Full Stop, the list goes on you can advertise on the full network you can pick the sites that you want and advertise piecemeal it's super user friendly litbreaker.com this is an advertising network serving the culture web go and advertise on it oh my god you are not alone you have found other people
2: you and i have a friend in common
0: every stupid thing that a writer could do i've done i think it's really beautiful Gee, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible, you know, it was like your head exploded seeing what was really there.
1: And now here's your host, Brad Listy. Just one person at just one time. All All right. Right. Hey everybody,
0: here we go again. This is it. This is other people. This is vying for your attention. This is somewhat unpredictable.
1: How's it going? I'm Brad Listy. I'm in Los Angeles. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. My guest today is Jennifer Pashley. She has a debut novel out on Tin House. It's called The Scamp. Perhaps you've heard of it. It's been generating some buzz out there. The scamp. Jennifer Pashley and I in conversation momentarily. Uh, I do want to take a moment here. Uh, This uh, episode is airing on September 9th, 2015. Happy birthday to my mother, Peggy. She doesn't even listen to this program, but I'm going to uh, wish her a happy birthday publicly anyway. September 9th, I believe she's 67 today. I could be wrong. She might be pissed off that I'm even mentioning her birthday. There is somebody uh, with a weed whacker or a uh, leaf blower. In the general vicinity. I'm not sure if you can hear that. It's very loud. But I'm going to proceed. Undeterred. It's part of the uh, je ne sais quoi that makes this show what it is. We have insects. We have filth. We have machinery. Sirens. Helicopters. I have this feeling right now of not being able to get anything done. You ever go through that? I have a lot to do. I feel like I have a lot to do. Like both in terms of like a to-do list in a very kind of ordinary way, but also existentially. Like I'm going to die. I need to get stuff done. Clock is ticking. And I feel like it just keeps piling up. Uh, The piling is happening at a rate that exceeds my ability to keep up with the piling. If you know what I mean. It feels sort of like an avalanche. It feels... Like I'm getting buried beneath an avalanche Or uh, perhaps uh, to use a different uh, analogy Feels as though I'm going underwater I don't mean to sound so severe I'm not getting a lot of sleep right now You know we have a newborn I'm doing the night duty But I'm also up during the day Trying to get stuff done That doesn't help I'm not complaining I'm just saying One of the things I want to do is I want to sit down and I want to write a short letter to myself. This might sound corny, but I actually want to sit down and write a letter to myself. I don't know if it will, you know, it could be long. I imagine it being short, but it could ramble. And uh, it's like, I want to write a letter to myself about what I want to do with the rest of my life. Does anybody ever do this kind of thing? I just want to write it down. Like, what the fuck do I want to do with the rest of my life? What do I want this uh, existence to look like? I've been asking myself this question for a long time. Probably, in a serious way, since I was twenty years old, and by serious, I mean like an adult way, this isn't something that just dawned on me because I turned forty. That's too uh pat that's stupid i've been I've been going through this since I was twenty. I've been having my midlife crisis since I was twenty years old. okay, and the truth is, I'm still not sure. Some people they seem sure, or they just tell themselves they're sure. I'm not sure. I'm increasingly less sure. I need to decide. My understanding of it is that I need to decide. I just need to make a decision and go with it. And if it doesn't work out, then you tack your sales and you adjust. But it's hard to keep up. It's hard to decide. It's hard to get everything done. It's hard to just make a decision and go with it. You know, And what I want to do and what I want this existence to look like and what I'm deeply interested in doing might not be profitable. That's also a problem. Does anybody else face that? Does anybody else think about that? I'm very caffeinated. I wish I was interested in very profitable things. How to make the unprofitable profitable. I feel confused. <laughs> I feel very tired. It's not going to last. I'm in, a, I'm in a phase right now a phase of very little sleep, and very high pressure. It's compression. My guest is Jennifer Pashley. Her debut novel is called The Scamp. It's out there now from Tin House. Uh, boy, did I have a good time talking with Jennifer. She came over. She sat down. We talked. I recorded it. I'm going to share that now with you. This is Jennifer Pashley.
2: I'm I'm waiting for it to go away. I keep trying to think it away. I've had it for several hours.
1: Okay, so you have migraines on a regular basis.
2: I, they're actually fairly rare, but... When I have them, I have them, and they knock me out.
1: Holy shit. So, I yeah. mean, are you okay to do this? Yeah. You're going to make it? I'm going to make it. This is a valiant effort. I have never had anyone in here. Like, you were puking on the way over. I was. And you're not, like, we we had a mix-up on time.
2: <laughs> so did. you're you're
1: Ubering in from Highland Park.
2: I'm showing up as Lindsay Lohan today.
1: Just, yeah. I mean, yeah. you're puking out the, like, the yeah. you yeah. out the door of the Uber. You puked out the door of the Uber?
2: He pulled over, and yeah, and I puked on the sidewalk. Where were you? I have no idea. Okay. Like did under get, a bridge, I you, don't know. Did you
1: get out of the Uber, or did you just lean out? No, I got
2: out of the Uber.
1: Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, in these migraines, what uh, does something set them off?
2: Um, I don't know. I mean, I think I. You know what? I don't know.
1: There's no like. It's not like you were drinking last night, and then you have like a, a hangover headache, and that turns into a migraine.
2: I mean. I'm always drinking last night, but <laughs> you drink a lot uh, yeah, I mean, yeah every, every day um to excess no, no no, I mean, yes, almost every day, not every day to excess,
1: how many days a week to excess are you drinking
2: mm, not a week, not every week, not like every once week. in a while i I'll while. go out or something, and like then it's a you know it's kind of a big night or something, but. I mean, most nights we have, you know, yeah, we have some, we drink some wine. I drink some wine while I'm cooking. I have a glass of wine with dinner. Yeah, that's but me. That's how I am. too. But it's not like, but, but it can get tricky.
1: It's not like because I do two glasses, never more. Yeah. But like, what is a glass? I drink about a half a bottle of red wine at night. Yeah,
2: I mean, what's a yeah? What's a glass? A glass is technically five ounces. Okay. I, don't I also even know have what worked. That means. I have worked as a bartender. So. But I'm very.
1: I'm very. Like, I have no interest in getting fucked up. I have no interest no. in being hungover at all. I can't do it. I, my, no, my I body really does don't not, like it. I don't either. I'm too old. Yeah. I missed it. I, I did it. Yeah. I did it.
2: I didn't... See, I didn't do... I, I didn't drink in college.
1: Oh, see. Um. Now you're making up for lost time.
2: I didn't drink till I was 30.
1: Oh, shit. Why not? Okay, let's get into that. <laughs> let's start at the beginning. Where are you from?
2: I'm from Syracuse.
1: Lots um, of snow. I always picture snow when someone says Syracuse.
2: You should. There's... um. God, there's so much snow. Um and, and every once in a while they're just like this is going to be the year. This is going to be a terrible terrible year. Um and it's terrible every year. Like you know, like last winter the snowbanks were so high. We couldn't you couldn't see to get out of the driveway. Jesus. Like somebody had to go out and like chip away at the snow banks just so that you could see to pull out into the street
1: (laughs) yeah see i grew up in milwaukee and it was like that like we used to be able to take out a snowblower and my dad would cut a maze through the snow in the backyard that's awesome like you know what i'm saying like so like we would be you know little kids we'd be running around we'd have an actual maze in our backyard
2: yeah yeah we make a path for the dogs but um but no one's ever made a maze
1: well, I mean it was I don't want to overdo it He wasn't like Some sort of artist with it But he just cut like A path and made it all wiggly And we thought It yeah. was amazing. maze
2: Yeah No we do so, We do a similar thing For the dogs Where we just like Cut like a big loop Yeah So that they could They have a space to run because... I think it was
1: for I was Because yeah, it was for our dog Sam Like it like the snow wasn't high enough That like I couldn't see out But the dog couldn't Right So we'd sort of mess with the dog He was a little uh, westy
2: Oh, I have a Jack Russell. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. And she can't, she, she, it's like swimming in the snow. Like she can't do it. Yeah. So we make this little path for her. So you grew
1: up in Syracuse and you still live there.
2: I live outside of Utica, which is a really hard thing to admit. Um, Why? Utica's terrible. Oh, it is? Utica's like the worst city in New York state. And I, now I'm going to get hate mail for, from people who <laughs> Why? Why? love like Utica. So... Um, it's just kind of. You know, Syracuse is also like a post-industrial city. Like it's got, it had businesses that left or whatever, but Syracuse still, it has the university. Right. And it has things that.
1: A university almost always redeems a It keeps it going. Right. Like
2: there's enough going on that it's fine. Utica has nothing. um, And it's post-industrial. And so.
1: And you live outside of it.
2: I live outside of it in a town called Clinton, which is where Hamilton College is. So my town is is great. It's like a tiny little, um, you know, like liberal college town.
1: Is it considered upstate? I don't know New York. It is upstate. It's upstate.
2: I mean, it's it depends. If you're from the city, it's considered upstate. If you actually live where we live, it's central New York. Yeah. But I mean, it's pretty dead center of the state.
1: Okay. So, you, But you basically lived in New York your whole life.
2: I have lived in New York my whole life. The yeah. only other place I lived was Binghamton. Okay. Also shitty.
1: Where's Binghamton?
2: it's south of syracuse okay it's right um it's right on the pennsylvania border which is it's that's where binghamton university is that's why i lived there right for a little bit
1: all right isn't that where than Ellis went or no where did he go no he went to bennington, bennington. he went
2: bennington. to bennington vastly different yeah, from yeah that's, that's in vermont right <laughs> yeah
1: and binghamton i had one of my film professors in college as an undergrad went to binghamton that's why i know it oh okay yeah yeah, he made like experiment. He makes experimental films. I think he's still with us. Um, huh? Yeah, it was like at the University of Colorado. Like kind of Stan Brakhage. I don't know if you know him. No, Just very like far out experimental. Yeah, like like spraying like there was like this glass like shower glass spray that you spray on glass to make it foggy. Uh huh. And he would spray that on the film. Oh wow! To give it enough, you know, that kind of thing. That's weird. Yeah, you're just doing weird shit. Yeah. Um, okay, so you are born in syracuse mm-hmm. and I, re- I was reading online uh you were born to a uh accordion player mm-hmm. and a casket maker um yeah all right what's that all about
2: oh uh, my dad was a professional accordionist um, he he's he was really old he's dead now but he he was fifty three when I was born so my dad was born in nineteen twenty and like served in world war ii and and when he was in world war ii he was in italy and he was just like in the entertainment unit so he just he didn't see a lot of that's the unit to be in oh yeah he was and in italy as an accordionist (laughs) they were like he's a rock star (laughs) you know um but yeah he i mean he made his living like that for a long time like he had a school like a music school in syracuse where he had you know hundreds of students and
1: teaching them to play the accordion
2: yeah like in the 50s that was a thing
1: so the accordion was a prominent instrument, oh yeah, it was like if
2: you took like the way kids take piano lessons now, like kids just took accordion lessons we need to
1: bring that back
2: i mean it's it's a portable instrument,
1: like who's going to lug a piano around
2: right, you can't do that and and it's when you want your kid to take piano lessons and you don't have a piano like that's a that's a serious obstacle like no, I'm I, not gonna go buy a five thousand dollar piano or whatever right. Um, but an accordion, you can get a kid size, like you can get a smaller one. You should get one for your son. Yeah, you can well, get a smaller one and like, you know,
1: well, we, you know, my wife and I always said like, they, like, you know, as parents, you try your best, you want to do a good job. And we just like, I want, I want our, our children to uh, learn a, a second language mm-hmm. and learn how to play an instrument. Yeah. If they have accomplished that, um, by the time they leave home, we will feel like we did like that's, that's our markers. It's entirely possible that we will fail on both fronts.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean.
1: It's hard. You know, you got to get the first, the kids got to kind of be interested. Then you got to have the instrument. And then in terms of language, um, you know, you kind of have to have some level of immersion or you got to get them into a class at a young age. There are certain schools that are bilingual, but. you know, Right. I just don't want. I hate the idea. I feel like very uh, ashamed of the fact that I don't speak fluently in a second language.
2: Yeah. I don't either. I mean, I can read French very slowly. Like it takes me a <laughs> little a dictionary. It takes me a little while. Like I, I took a lot. Like I took years of French, and I should be more fluent than I am. But, but, yeah. uh, but also the French I took was really like it wasn't speaking. It wasn't conversational. If you're it was not immersed, like, it if you're was not reading. immersed,
1: yeah. If you're not immersed, it goes. And even yeah. people who I think have been, I've talked to people who have like lived in French speaking. Uh, countries and have been totally immersed and have been become um, fluent, you know, at least to some extent. And then they leave and they say it recedes. Like if you don't use yeah. it, you lose it. And yeah, no, that's true. I think if, you know the exception being if you learn it as a small child and like it really gets embedded. But when we were we were kind of poking around looking at schools and there's like a lycée here in uh, Los Angeles where you know they speak nothing but French and it's oh, wow. totally according to the French school system. Uh, wow. like, like It's it's a totally different ball game than what we're used to as American students. But yeah, uh, they say that like it really doesn't get locked in until like sixth or seventh grade. Like you got to get to that point. Like you would your kid, right. your kid can be fluent in third grade, and if you take them out, they'll lose it. Which seems like a, a bummer.
2: <laughs> it does. I mean, in most school systems, you don't start to learn it at all until seventh grade. So it's too late. At that point, it's too late. It's actually too late.
1: All right. Well, let's get back to your uh, childhood. So your dad is a musician mm-hmm. and your mother makes caskets.
2: My mom actually didn't actually make the caskets, but she worked for a casket factory. She, My mom it, was a seamstress and um, her job at the casket factory was to sew the satin linings in the caskets. So like the little, all those tufted, yeah. beautiful things that they put inside a casket, she she made
1: those. And they, those go on into the ground.
2: Yeah.
1: seems like a lot, kind of an elaborate situation it's for a something really... that's going to just like, just decay. Yeah. It's like, <laughs>
2: I'm going to make this wedding dress and then just throw it in the lake. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to like putrefy. But yeah. Um, okay. Those are interesting lines of work Were your parents seem, are they eccentric people? Or were they?
2: Um, It's hard to say. I mean, I think maybe they were, but, but they tried really hard not to appear that way but it like like they, it, this was at a time like i think maybe if they were if they were my age now if we were contemporaries they would feel different maybe about the choices that they had made or um how they were living but i think at that time like in the 60s and in the in the 70s it was all very like oh we're we're just normal people, like everybody else.
1: Do you get along with them?
2: Um, I don't get along great with my mom. I, I we used to, and then after my dad died, it kind of like everything just kind of fell apart. Um, I got well, along when did, okay. When did he pass away? Um, in oh eight, so seven seven years ago.
1: Okay, but he would have been.
2: He was eighty eight when he died, yeah,
1: so he had a long he had a long run
2: yeah i mean and and I got along okay with my dad, but we didn't we didn't know each other real well, you know Isn't that, was, that so strange about yeah.
1: parents and their kids that like there's so much like even like my parents and I are close, there's a lot I don't know, yeah, there's a like you know I think there are some parents who um become like friends with their kids um I don't know what I don't even know how to how to articulate it like are they friends or they just have like maybe a more intimate relationship and they share more and they're more comfortable sharing it, like intimate details of how they feel I think sometimes as parents maybe there can be a fear that if you expose your kid too much to your humanity that can somehow be a violation of like the the code or, it, or it can be uh, difficult for the kid. Like, maybe they, they yeah. think, like, oh, they don't want to know this stuff about me. I got to be like the, the the strong person, or whatever. It's funny
2: because I, I'm all for exposure. Like, I, like that's that's maybe that's my parenting model is to just like be the human. Like, I'm you know I'm a person, and you're a person, and we're connected in this way. And so, like, I try to know them really well as people. Like, I like to know who they are and what you know what they think and and what makes them up um
1: how many kids you have i have two boy and a girl i have two boys two boys okay
2: and uh and i try to just be like you know as open as i can about certain things but then my older son is 18 he for example will not read my books because he's like i know there are things in there that i don't want to know that you know (laughs) (laughs) So he has just drawn that line himself, like i I don't need to know that
1: interesting, you' would think yeah. he would kind of like tear it open and want to know, but he
2: his brother might be the one who wants to know, but he's just like, nope, don't don't need to know
1: How old is the little one
2: he's twelve and, and and a half he's almost thirteen, okay,
1: yeah, all right, so you um were you an only child yourself, or did you have siblings?
2: No, I'm the youngest of four by a lot um my oldest siblings are like 20 years older than I am.
1: Holy cow. So how old was your mom when she had you?
2: 43.
1: Okay. So, yeah. And like, do you feel um, like, is that span between siblings? Like, did you have a close relationship with them or does that make it difficult?
2: No. I mean there, if anything, it's more like a, like an aunt and uncle kind of relationship. When somebody's that much older, like it's not, you're not equals, you're not siblings. You know, it's not, we didn't grow up together. We don't have, you know, shared shared experience. They were we, out of the house. They were out of the house and we don't all have the same parents. So the, the sibling that's closest to me, my brother is eight years older than I am. So he's still significantly older, but we did grow up together. Like we were in the same house with the same parents for a period of time. And he has the same parents.
1: Yeah. Okay. But the other ones,
2: the other ones don't. One is my mom's and one is my dad's. And, um, and they, you know, like neither of them lived at home by the time I was born. So.
1: And did you get to know your dad any better as he got older? Like, did he open up at all? Sometimes that happens.
2: Not really. Not to me. I, he may have opened up some more to my brother, sort of man to man about things, but um, he he didn't really. I mean, he and he spent a lot of time with my kids. Like, you know, my kids thought he was great. Like he, he would do like sleight of hand tricks for them and stuff. and
1: Play the accordion
2: yeah <laughs> um at birthday parties he always yeah he would play the accordion at birthday parties yeah
1: yeah i mean how could you not
2: yeah no it's a it's a it's a significant built-in advantage right <laughs> <laughs> birthdays and weddings yeah. got him covered got him
1: covered <laughs> outdoor cafe dinners he could bring him along oh play. my god he
2: hated strolling jobs <laughs> if there was a job where he had to stroll at a cafe he was like
1: cafes would hire him um, like in the summers to come out and like entertain or not,
2: so, not so much cafes, but like there were certain jobs, like certain weddings or, or, you know, events where they wanted, they wanted a strolling accordionist and he was just like,
1: I want to say we had an accordionist. No. My wife and I got married. we My wife and I essentially eloped. We didn't really elope because it wasn't a secret, but it was just the two of us. Mm-hmm. And then we came back and we had a party. That's what we did. Yeah. It was great.
2: Where it, did you elope to? Italy. Oh, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. We just like, we just said, you know what? Let's not spend the money on like party favors and stupid bullshit. Let's just go to Italy and get hitched as the two of us at town hall. Yeah. And it was great. That it is great. Great decision. So we came back and, uh, you know, my parents and, uh, my wife's parents, they, they, you know, everybody got together. We had like a party. Friends were there. We cut the cake. It was kind of like having a reception on, on a delay. Mm hmm. Same sort of thing. Um, And I think we had an accordion player who was late. Hmm. I could could, could totally be misremembering this, but I want to say my mother was sort of freaking out because the accordion player did not show up. Wow. So there is someone out here carrying the torch on the West coast. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, okay. So uh, you grow up in Syracuse. Uh, I think you were saying before we came on that you went to a really shitty uh, public elementary school.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the school district itself is pretty good, but that that particular elementary school is just like it's I don't know, it's in a it's in kind of a shitty neighborhood and it, it I didn't realize it at the time that it was that it was kinda of rough, but but when I look back on it I'm like, Oh yeah, like that that was
1: that was bad. That was
2: kinda of bad. What like, was bad about it? Um I mean there were you know, by the time I was in middle school there was you know, there was a big drug bust, and my middle school was fifth, sixth, and seventh. So it wasn't like, like oh. some middle schools are seven and eight. This was this is the younger end of middle school. But there, you know, there were I don't know there were drugs. There were
1: you do drugs in, in no. the, as a young person? No, you said you didn't even drink till you were thirty.
2: Yeah, no, I really didn't. I didn't do any. Not that I've never done any drugs, but like I, it wasn't my thing.
1: And as a kid, you were no, I didn't do it straight and narrow.
2: I mean. There were a lot of drugs in my family and so like I just didn't I didn't want to participate. What, that siblings? was my rebellion was not doing drugs.
1: Siblings? Parents? Uh, everybody. Everybody, everybody, was, everybody doing... was doing drugs. Really? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of drugs? <laughs> um
2: There were a lot of painkillers and
1: It seems like it's ahead of its time like to be doing them back then. I feel like that's what's happening now. I feel like Yeah. and like I feel like corporate pharmaceuticals are the worst. Like all the oh, yeah. all the legal drugs are the worst. Cigarettes, booze, and pills.
2: Yeah, no they there weren't a lot of illegal drugs happening, but I, everybody was on painkillers. Um
1: You're just like, "Oh my, there's so much fucking snow." Just Yeah, just kill get, it. Get to spring. Yeah. Um,
2: <laughs> you know, there was there was speed if you could get it. Um you know, there were, there were things like Xanax and Valium.
1: And you were exposed to that, like as a young kid, like, was it ever, I mean, did did it uh, bother you? Did it scare you as a kid? Did you sense a, like that the, uh, the people who are supposed to be in control weren't in control or.
2: Oh yeah. I mean it, I had a, um, I had some terrible anxiety issues as a kid and like there would be like, if there was a. If there was some kind of gigantic argument, I, I was able to stop the argument by, you know, funnily enough, by throwing up. Um, really, really.
1: <laughs> you, you would get anxious and puke.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I would. I would that'll, just that'll like. I would just it. like start shaking and then just like start throwing up, and they'd be like, "Uh oh, we got to deal with this now. We Aww. should maybe stop arguing." That's
1: heartbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> Poor little kid.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: Your parents fight, like was it like loud shout fights and stuff like that
2: they there was a lot of um
1: everyone 's on speed
2: and... there was a lot of fighting between my parents and my brother um I think there was a lot of fighting between my parents, but some of it happened before I was born, and so the stuff that I remember is more stuff that was that happened with my brother um and but it's like, like and big it's an addiction
1: issue like there 's an addiction thing happening? there's an
2: addiction issue there's a there's some you know there's some mental health issues. I mean, my brother, my brother's actually diagnosed bipolar and is dealing with it, like getting, you know, like taking medication and getting therapy and doing what he's supposed to do. There's a good possibility that my dad was also bipolar, but just completely undiagnosed and just kind of self-medicating. And he definitely had an explosive personality.
1: Like short-tempered.
2: Really, Really short-tempered and and completely unpredictable. Not like, oh, I bet that's going to make Dad mad. Like all of a sudden, just like craziness. Well,
1: look, you know, I'm I'm not super explosive, but like my my wife Carrie is like so chill. Mm-hmm. Like like, and she comes from like her father like can't yell. He's one of these guys who's got like this soft-spoken voice. Like he couldn't yell if he wanted to. Right. And she sort of is like that. Like never yells. Super patient. Uh, I, I'm like not. Uh, super hot-headed, but by comparison, I'm, like, the parent who's probably more, like, volatile or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I can get frustrated and be like, Jesus, you know, and uh, my daughter, who's almost five, uh, if I, like, even the slightest, slightest upset, I'm not even, like, yelling, and she'll be like, stop yelling. You know what I'm saying? Like, kids are sensitive, and it's, oh yeah, it's scary to a child when a parent gets angry, even, like, slightly, I guess, especially my daughter, who's, like, you know, sensitive, but yeah. I can only imagine being a kid, you know, at that age and having parents like really blow up. Um that's scary.
2: It's really scary.
1: It's not a, uh, you know. I always feel bad whenever I like get like lose even uh, lose my temper even slightly. I f- always feel like such a shithead afterwards.
2: Yeah, no, it's funny because my um my kids still will say that to me if I if I kind of you know, accentuate something. They're like, why are you yelling? Yeah, well, see, and maybe, I'm like,
1: maybe it's because you don't yell enough. It's I'm like, like, I'm that's not yelling. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, honey, are. that's not yelling. <laughs> yeah, that's what I say. I'm <laughs> like, know? and I'm really, I swear to you, I'm talking like at this volume and she'll say, stop yelling. And I'm like, uh, daddy's not yelling. But it's yeah. like, I'm either like correcting or telling her what she doesn't want to hear. And then um, sometimes, you know, you're just tired as a parent and you just like, you snap a little bit. You uh, know? Yeah. And, uh, and it just frightens them. And it's like, I wish I could control myself perfectly all the time, but it's not, uh, not happening yet it's really hard yeah
2: i mean and it you know i could tell you that it gets easier but it doesn't
1: (laughs) (laughs) i mean you know you do the best you can i think i think i'm doing all right but um it's just interesting to me to think of how my daughter reacts to me and then to think about you being so upset that you're actually spontaneously vomiting yeah that's rough
2: yeah
1: and your parents responded to that like were they Oh God, I'm sorry. Or was it clean yourself up and go to your room? Like what, how did they respond?
2: Um, I mean, it was sort of, for me, I guess it was sort of like, it was like hitting pause. Like it was the one way I could sort of like stop what was happening for at least a few minutes. And I think like, usually my mom would come in and, you know, into the bathroom or whatever and sort of like clean me up and make sure I was okay. Um, I don't know that that was always the end of it. You know it wasn't really enough to stop it. It was enough to pause it um I mean and this would so i mean do these enjoy, do I need to puke again? These like would that? go on like all night, oh you know God. it would be like a it would start at like nine or ten o'clock at night and go on until like three in the morning.
1: Is your brother and your parents yelling at each other
2: and like yelling like like punching walls like pulling cupboard doors off like really bad
1: everybody doing this um yeah yeah. your mom just yanking cupboard doors off the hinges
2: Uh, i don't know if my mom was was necessarily doing that i mean a, a lot probably the bigger stuff was between my brother and my dad but my mom would sort of be in the middle of it or you know
1: god that's rough
2: yeah, and then I would go to school the next day.
1: <laughs> I mean, and I'm like already thinking to myself. Well, I can see how a girl living in an environment like that would turn to books at a young age. I mean, was that the case? Were you finding solace in reading and like the life of the imagination, or is that I definitely? Too simplistic?
2: I, no, I mean, I definitely found solace in imagination. Some of that was books. Some of it was some of it was music. Like I,
1: I are you musical?
2: I'm not musical. I mean, I, I have made attempts at playing instruments before but like i i mean i would just sort of like i would go put like headphones on and just kind of zone out a little bit um i get you know i got a lot of comfort from my dog (laughs) who was your dog my dog's name was heidi when i was a kid
1: what kind of dog
2: she was a mutt but she kind of looked like a german shepherd
1: heidi dogs are the best people
2: she she was like you know she just kind of stuck with me
1: right sweet thing
2: yeah No, that's a good, it's such a good, like, non-judgmental companion to have, and they know when you're upset.
1: Yeah, well, no, they, I mean, dogs have an emotional intelligence. Yeah. You know, I mean, certain breeds especially, but I can imagine, like, in a household like that, if there's lots of shouting, the dog's going to read that.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely.
1: And she took your side?
2: Yeah, she would come, you know. Just come sit with She's me. She's
1: like, you smell like puke. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm going to lick this I'm off gonna... your shoe, okay?
1: <laughs> you think she, like, totally loves you and is looking out for you. She just wants to, like, eat the vomit on your shoe. Right. <laughs> um, so, okay. So, as you get older, I imagine you wanted to get out of there.
2: I totally wanted to get out of there.
1: You were like, I want to get out at, like, 15. Were you one of those kids, like, ready to leave the nest ASAP? Or...
2: I really wanted to leave the nest, and um, my early teenage years and regular teenage years were, um, unlike my, my brothers where I was like on lockdown, like I could, I was, I couldn't go anywhere or do anything. Um, so it was a big, big deal for me to like go to the mall or go out to like, I very, very rarely went to the movies at night with friends. Like I could, like, I wasn't allowed to do it didn't go to parties.
1: What, your parents were super strict?
2: With me. Huh. Um, and not in a way You're that was like... You're the one who like, had her
1: head screwed on, it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> you should have been the only one who allowed out of the house.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I. it wasn't like... It's hard to say that it was super strict in a way that was um, like in my business all the time and kind of trying to protect me from things happening. It was more like any this sounds really harsh. Anything that I wanted to do was just kind of an inconvenience. And so they were like, no, (laughs) um, if I had like extra, you know, like curricular activities and had to stay after school, they were like, no. Um,
1: did you want to do stuff?
2: Oh yeah. Like I, like I, I did want like, and I did certain things. Like there were certain things that I would just sort of have to, put my foot down and be like, I'm participating in this. Like I, like I was on the, you know, the high school literary magazine or whatever, like, and I was like, I'm doing this. (laughs) Like, this is, this is what I do. Like, were you
1: recognizing yourself as a writer then? Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, and I knew this was sort of like, this is my, this is the thing that I'm good at. Like I, more than, you know, playing an instrument or being in a play or, you know, playing a sport or something like this is, this is where I belong. Um, so I was sort of, you know, I wouldn't give in on that. Um, but we had, you know, the same thing happened when it was time to go to college. Like they didn't really want me to go to college.
1: Yeah. How did you make that happen?
2: Um, I was just bullheaded about it. Like I was like, I'm going to do these applications and I'll, I'll do them myself. Like, you know,
1: stay out of my way.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: your parents put you through school or did you have to get, uh, loans?
2: I, my parents didn't have any financial obligation. Um,
1: what what does that mean?
2: Um, it means they didn't make enough money.
1: Oh, okay. Like
2: they, they zeroed out on the, like when we did the financial aid forms that they didn't have to pay anything. Um, I had to take out some loans, but they didn't have to pay anything. But you got some aid. And I got, yeah, I got some scholarships and some grants and stuff like that. Were you a good student? Yeah.
1: So like we, cause like this is like often the dynamic for a child who's living in a home that's like, uh. You know rocky is that there'll be a kid who's like the the achiever Mm -hmm. or like the one who's like you would be sort of like an adult before your time i mean is that accurate
2: yeah yeah i mean i wasn't like an amazing student in high school but i was a you know i was a solid a (laughs) minus you know not top of the class but but up there enough to get into college you know and then when i was in college i did i did well i sort of realized it more when i was in college that I wanted to excel, you know. I realized it more then than I did in high school.
1: Okay, and you were and you were into writing in college as well. Yeah, that was what you were going to do.
2: I well, I knew I was a writer and I knew I wanted to write, but because I sort of, you know, grew up with this kind of pragmatic sense of, well, that dream will never come true. Um, <laughs> I actually it's a wa- wonderful thing to grow it's, up. Yeah, with. so like you can't be a writer. That's not going. That happens to no one. Um, I originally went for, I was going to be a high school English teacher and I realized very quickly that I did not want to do that. Why? I, I really didn't, I didn't like the education program, like all of the bullshit that they put you through to become a teacher. Like the, like it's one thing to sort of know your subject and then there's the other stuff that you have to learn. And, and I, that's, I hated that stuff. Like I hated those classes. I didn't, I just didn't. Pedagogy or whatever. Yeah. Like I did not want to do that. So I decided that I was going to, um, just stick with English and then try to go, I was going to go to graduate school. Mm. And this is sort of before the influx of MFA is like, not everybody was going to get an MFA at that point. So I figured, well, I'll go, I'll go like the academic route. Like I'll get a master's and maybe I'll get a PhD and. Um and that I mean that was that was fairly well supported by my department. Um
1: And where did you go to school?
2: I went to LeMoyne College.
1: Okay. Did you say that? No. Okay. Good. Yeah. I'm just testing myself. Also
2: also in Syracuse. <laughs> um But yeah, I mean I I, I did never I don't know when I actually realized that I could be a writer. Like, it took me a long time. Did
1: you have people encouraging you? Did you have teachers who were saying, hey, you know, you have a gift, you know?
2: I had a couple, yeah. Um, but I just didn't... Th- I thought, but I have to work. Right? Like, I have to go do something. So I started to go to graduate school. And um, <laughs> I always say, and then I got pregnant and dropped out. Um
1: Wait, you said you you tried to go to graduate school. I
2: did. I didn't finish my master's for a long time. I went to graduate school and I did three and semesters. Did you go? Binghamton.
1: Binghamton. Oh, that's right. And then you uh, you got pregnant.
2: And then I got pregnant. How old per- were you? Purposefully.
1: On purpose. Like it wasn't
2: it wasn't like a whoops. Now I'm pregnant. Like I I was like, hey, we should have a baby. I can work full time and go to graduate school and have a baby. Who can't do that?
1: How old were you?
0: Twenty
2: two. <laughs> <laughs> um now i would be like oh my god i can do one of these things half-assed yeah (laughs) um so you know so i left i left graduate school and i started i worked in advertising for 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 like which agency yeah i worked for an agency called mark russell and associates
1: okay i didn't know if like one of these like what is it deloitte and Touche? or yeah no it? it
2: was um Mark Russell was a was a fairly big firm for Syracuse. There were two big firms in Syracuse, and they eventually merged. Um, but when I was there, it was just, it was still just Mark Russell. Um, but I, I was there for like eight years.
1: Just writing ad copy.
2: No, I did print production. I didn't want to write ad copy because I didn't want to write for a living. Like I didn't. I thought if I sat and wrote ad copy all day, I wouldn't want to write. When I went home,
1: you might be correct,
2: and so I thought I mm, I don't like they because we talked about it at one point, and and there's so much I mean there's ad copy but there was also so much like brochure copy and like
1: oh, see that's just deadening that's yeah soul like deadening. I really
2: didn't I really didn't want to do it so I learned a lot about print, doing print production and like setting up photo shoots and that kind of stuff that was that was actually I loved that, um, and it was. It was a nice balance to do two different things, and I w- I was writing at that point, but I wasn't fiction. Yeah, I wasn't doing anything serious with it yet. Like I was, I was just sort of trying to produce stories and work on them.
1: And and do you have some people, uh, some writers that you uh, like? Who are your heroes? Who was inspiring you when you were young and and just getting started?
2: Um, I mean, when I was a kid, I like i've burned through all the judy bloom books like i loved those books um and honestly like i still think about them and sometimes some of the language of them comes back to me wow which is great like i feel like that's the litmus test for how good a book is is if the language stays in my head
1: what's a, what's one of your favorite judy bloom books can you recite any from memory
2: <laughs> oh wow um there's a line in forever where they're they're like trying to have sex and she says <laughs> she says are you in are we doing it <laughs> and it i like i so i will i will sound like a lot of my experiences i will say man. it sometimes like regarding something completely different like you know like somebody's loading the dishwasher and i'll be like are you in are we doing it and i think i'm the only one who knows what i'm talking about <laughs> um just you and judy yeah um I don't. I really loved Tiger Eyes. I think that one. That one might have been my favorite.
1: What was that about? I, I vaguely was, remember Tiger Eyes. It I was, was about
2: a. It was one of the older teenage books. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't one of the sort of twelve-year-old. Like, the, I think the protagonist was more like fifteen, and and her dad had been shot, and her her mom like moved them out to New Mexico or something, and. It was awful. There's just this sort of like the way that it dealt with like mourning a parent and not just mourning a parent, but like having to get past the trauma of a violent event. Like she kept his bloody clothes in a bag in her closet. Like it was a, it was a like kind of a dark, heavy.
1: But you could, you responded novel. to that.
2: Yeah. Um And there was some, you know, there was, I can't remember who was an alcoholic, like maybe one of her friends in high school like had a serious drinking problem like so there were really like big issues in that book but it was also kind of beautiful like the um there's just sort of like the escape of it like of being in in the desert and sort of like you know the the escape of of being in the landscape did you
1: want to go did you want to go escape to the desert
2: i would have gone to escape anywhere
1: (laughs) (laughs) you're like i would have gone to canada i would have gone yep West Virginia.
2: Any, anywhere. <laughs> no, that's true. Um, but yeah, that, that's probably, that was probably my favorite one. Okay. And then when I got older, I, you know, I really loved Raymond Carver. Like, I feel like that was the first place that I saw this sort of working class struggle portrayed in in a way that I thought was was stark and beautiful. And true. And true. It was true. And, like, like
1: without being condescending.
2: It wasn't condescending. It was just. It felt like it was just reported accurately.
1: Well, and uh, like there's something in the, those stories, uh, they really trick you into thinking that writing's much easier than it is. Yeah. It's like there's something very alluring about that style where you're like, wow, you just say what happened in these short declarative sentences yep. and you just stack yeah. them up like that. And then... and
2: then I poured scotch on her belly yeah. and then she poured <laughs> scotch on my belly. Like it's just, you know, it's just sort of very plain. But, yeah. um... but
1: it's hard to get to that.
2: Yeah, and and when there's so many, you know, you read so many things in school that are for me anyways were in a style that I didn't didn't totally respond to or were about things that I didn't totally respond to that seeing something that felt so familiar was was comforting to me. I was like, "Oh, that's possible." Right. You know, I don't have to be you know Maupassant to write a short story, <laughs> right? <laughs> like I like could just be this guy selling vitamins in the mall. So, um,
1: did you sell vitamins in the mall?
2: No, but, but there there's a there's a Carver story called vitamins that I'm pretty sure takes place in Syracuse. Oh right, he um, lived there for he yeah. lived there when you were there. Um, he did when I was a kid. Um, I don't know when he left Syracuse, but he was definitely. That's That story, in, I, I think people who live in Portland feel like that's a Portland story, but when I read it, I think I know exactly where these places are. Like, this is a very Syracuse story. Was he story still drinking in Syracuse? I think so. He was, okay. Yeah.
1: Perhaps you saw him stumbling around Syracuse. I,
2: I may have, yeah.
1: Huh. Um, There's a lot of good writers pass through Syracuse. Oh, yeah. You have access to that? Like, Do you, do you go over to campus and... You know, go to events and stuff like that.
2: I have been to a few, yeah. I and I taught, I taught there for a year. Um, but they, I mean, they get they get great people, and it's not just you know they get great people coming through. But they have, I mean, they have such good people on faculty.
1: That's what I'm saying, George Saunders. Yeah, I mean George Dana Saunders. Spiata. Yeah, I mean what, uh, Wolf, Tobias Wolf.
2: Tobias Wolf. He's not there anymore. Oh, he's not. Okay. Um, but. You know, Mary Carr's in and out.
1: Oh yeah, right. She's
2: there sometimes. Um Mary Gatesgill has been there. She's not there anymore, but she has been there, you know, for years in the past. Um,
1: see it's close enough to New York City that you can get people who are like, you know what, I want to time out from living in- and <laughs> yeah. taking the subway. I'm gonna go out to Syracuse. And- yeah,
2: and I like I feel like I feel like the world has recognized George Saunders as like
1: a master of the short story. He he's a
2: master. I don't I don't know. I think they're close, but I, I, I don't know that they've quite realized what a powerhouse Dana is yet. Yeah, she's great. She's amazing. Like, she is absolutely the real deal. Um,
1: her books, I mean, the reviews on her books are out of this world. Yeah. I mean, it's not like the critical establishment hasn't gotten behind her. I just don't think that maybe the popular, you know, the reading public hasn't quite latched on. In mass, the way that they have with George. But, you know, George, I don't feel like... I don't think he got that treatment until just recently. That's true. I mean, there was always, like, a lot of fandom and, like, nerd circles. I mean, he was always loved by critics and loved by writers and, you know, people who, you know, work in bookstores and stuff like that. But I feel like, you know, in the last five to six years, he's gotten, like, a wider audience.
2: I think that's true. And I'm not even sure why. I don't know if it was sort of the publicity around the MacArthur or... I don't know. He, he's such a likable guy.
1: I know. I had him on the show and I, uh, I've had Dane on too. Yeah. Uh, both were lovely. And I was probably at that stage of the podcast, I was mo- it was the, the guest at that point that I had been most nervous about talking with. Mm-hmm. And he was a way easier guest than many others. Yeah. Who, uh, in terms of like stature or whatever, um, you know, weren't at his level. And yet, he was like the nicest, and and, the, yeah. and also the humblest. Like he yep. was just, he was earnest and just super sweet.
2: Yeah. No, he's um he's really remarkable in that way. Like just so, it, it, like if you don't know that that's George Saunders, you're just like, oh, that guy is such a good neighbor.
0: Right. Like yeah, right. <laughs> you know, he's Just a good guy.
2: He's just a, yeah. He's oh. so just like, you know. I mean, I I would run into him, you know, like in the whatever in the faculty mail room. And he'd just be in there, you know, shooting the shit, kind of hanging out, being George Saunders, you know, it's like, you know, for me, like that, that's, there's a, there's a element of that in, in that kind of environment where it's like, you know, you could be a little starstruck, like, oh my God, (laughs) you know, but, but he, he totally doesn't, he doesn't feed on it at all. He's just like, how's it going?
1: (laughs) Right. Do you need anything? Well, you know, it's funny because I feel like you can be starstruck. I mean, I'm in Los Angeles and I'll see people and uh, I don't know if starstruck is the right word. But, you know, you, you can't help but recognize. Right. And I guess if you like somebody's art, you like the movie that they're in, you think they're a good actor, you see them, it's, you get a little bit of excitement. It's fun. It's also a weird thing where it's like you have to sort of pretend like you don't recognize them. Uh, I think being starstruck by a writer, like if you're a a literary person and you have literary heroes and you've read many of their books and that they've really gotten to you Mm -hmm. and then you see them, I feel like that kind of uh, starstruckness Mm -hmm. is maybe more intense.
2: It's a lot more intimate.
1: Yeah, it's deep. It's like, oh man, there's that person who really like shook me to my core. And I guess like, I guess like a musician or an actor can do that, but there's something like about having to read a book it takes a lot of time it's an active rather than a passive thing right you really have to participate and uh you know it works on your consciousness in a way that maybe these other things don't yeah you know and so I get that you know if i if I were to run into um I'm trying to think I mean as a kid Vonnegut yeah celine you know like some of my heroes or whatever like I would be um, I, I would have a hard time saying anything.
2: I felt that way when I I met A.S. Byatt, and uh, and she's just you know she's like a lovely old lady now, but I re- like like I really devoured her books, and and wrote some academic papers on them. So I felt like like I didn't just read them like I really like deconstructed some of those right. books. And so to just, like, have a conversation with her was a little crazy. Sure. And then... um...
1: Because it's like you have a level of intimacy with them that they don't have with you. And it's real. Yeah. You know, and so you're going into it. I mean, because it's one thing to feel like, oh, I know you. I've seen you on screen in a television show. Yeah. But when you've read someone's deepest thoughts and, you know, the contents of their imagination, and then you've also taken the next step and, um, you know, gone academic on it. Right. You know, then you're really invested and then you really feel like you have uh context and yeah. uh knowledge of this person and then yeah. they have nothing of you.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it was uh it you know, I mean it's it's a little life changing in a way to see something like that or to even to hear sometimes to hear somebody read something like a few years ago at AWP or actually it wasn't at AWP, it was at Skidmore. Um which is, Sk- Skidmore has an amazing reading series Weren't in were the they just going to close
1: Skidmore down, or am I thinking of something else?
2: You might be thinking of something okay. else.
1: Yeah, maybe it's not Skidmore. There, um, there, was like another, there was, like, an all-girls school they were going to shut down, and then they rallied, and... Oh. I, I'm screwing it up.
2: Yeah, but... no, Skidmore is not all-girls, but um, they, you know, they have their Writer's Institute in the summer, and as part of that, they ha- they have readings every night of the week, and they have huge people come in. So... I was there, um, you know, whatever, eight years ago or something, which is actually where I met Shauna Mann. Um,
1: Who has guested on this show recently.
2: Um, And I saw Jamaica Kincaid read Girl. And I was just like, like hearing it come out of her mouth for a piece that I feel like I know every word of, I thought was amazing. Like that was... You know, it it sort of makes your hair stand on end. Like, that's there. It is. That's real.
0: Yeah. You know, someone
1: a person made that. Yeah. And that's and, the person who did it.
2: Yeah, it was the same. I felt the same way when uh, when I when I met As by when she did her reading. She read the very last section of possession, like the epilogue of possession, which I think she's she said she'd never read before in public, and it's you know it's. It's just this sort of like tacked on kind of fairy tale ending that's so beautiful it you know it's really moving to hear somebody offer something like that in in their own voice
1: if they can do it, yeah, yeah, i mean some I think some readings can be dry, but if somebody's really good at it, and especially if you have like a real personal connection to the material, yeah now, like, I've a lot been of times to some... you a lot of times you go and you just like it's the first you've ever heard it, you know, and it's somebody right.
2: I've been to some readings where I really, really like what's on the page, and I hear the person read it, and I'm like, wow, this is not
1: good. <laughs> They're not <laughs> <Yeah>. selling it. <laughs> this, is, this is
2: not working for you.
1: Um, so, okay. So you had children uh, at a younger age, uh-huh. especially in today's uh, situation yeah. where everyone's having kids in like their late 30s or their 40s. Yeah. Um, but you're 22. You're in graduate school. You're working. Mm-hmm. You're like, I'm going to have a kid. Were you married? Yep. Okay. You still married? Yeah. Same guy? Same guy. Good for you.
2: Yeah, we've but this is, uh, this year was our.
1: Because, like, when they, when they, when it happens young, it often doesn't work out. I mean, like, a, I mean.
2: Wow. This year was our 19th wedding anniversary.
1: Congratulations. Thanks. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, uh, I don't know about you, but, like, whenever I hear, like, it could be, like, the most tawdry celebrity divorce yeah. in the world, I'm affected by it. I don't like that news, I'm like,
2: oh, it always breaks yeah. my heart,
1: like I mean, like Gwen Stefani and Gavin Rossdale you know and Ben what? Affleck. I mean, I just I can't take it good for Gwen why well, he's because he cheated they both <laughs> he's cheated a,
2: he's a dick
1: <laughs> these guys I, I think he was they were saying that he was screwing the nanny too, but that oh, could just God. be the tablets.
2: yeah, I don't know
1: yeah. i just
2: i I just you know. But I have it, a soft spot for Gwen. I really I want too. to see her like get out there and just be like...
1: I love Gwen Stefani. You know. I've talked about her. I talked about her with Kate Durbin at length on this program, <laughs> like for 20 minutes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it again. My listeners will kill me. But um, the point is that uh, I'm, I'm affected by that, you know, because I want my marriage to work and I want to... Uh, you know, when you're married, it's like I can't... To be divorced would be really difficult. Um, I'm always, And I'm always... Yeah. Conversely, I'm always made very happy when I see like an elderly couple holding hands. Oh yeah. Cause it's like, okay, love is possible. People can be decent to one another. It can happen. You know, we, yeah. need, we need that evidence. Like if you're elderly and you can tolerate one another and you're still married, hold hands in public, make out in public. <laughs> <laughs> the world needs you to do that.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it, I, I really admire seeing, um, seeing couples that, that work well, together do you know what i mean because and i say that because i because i often see people who are you know even just sort of casually like in a in a hotel or in a restaurant or something where where somebody you know one half is sort of berating the other half Uh or like and it's it's so or or like that tension the weird
1: like the bickersons remember that from saturday night live couples who bicker i get very uncomfortable um it's just yeah, you're just sitting there, sort of squirming in your seat, wanting it to be over with, or you're trying to pretend like it's not happening because, right, you're not going to become the third party in the in the fight. A lot of a lot of it's like very subtle, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes, but it's it's definitely there, and everybody knows it.
2: Yeah. Whereas when I see people who are who really just sort of enjoy each other, and and there's you know there's just a constant level of respect and, and equality... And so, like that's—it's so lovely to be around, right? You know, like it. it What's the it,
1: secret? Do you think? How do you? Because I mean, you know, every relationship—it's not like it, they always say it's work. I mean, who—who who was it? Was it like George George Burns and Gracie Allen? He's like, it wasn't work. You know, it was fun. And like, I know that there's that argument that if it's the right match and the people are in it for the right reasons and they're treating each other well, it shouldn't feel like work. I agree. Like, I don't feel like I'm constantly working to get along with my wife, but. Um, I do think that when you're with somebody and you're going through the ups and downs of life, like, and you're staying with them for years and years, like, of course, like it's sometimes you're going to be better than others. And some Mm -hmm. days you're going to be tired and some days the other person's going to be tired and you've got to navigate just the human experience in the context of another person. Um, so what do you think is the key? (laughs) How are you still married 19 years later? Not to turn this into a relationship show, but you know, yeah,
2: I mean, I think partially I mean, I think partially I, I like to say that I lucked out, but it may not actually be luck. Like, I think it might have been like a sort of a subconscious, like, um, survival drive that I had. Like, I married somebody who is not at all like my family.
1: I was going to say, because you're coming from a situation where things were volatile.
2: I might have gone the opposite. I might have married somebody who was just like my family. Yeah. And and it would have been terrible, and it would have been over. Um, but somehow, I gravitated towards somebody who was very, very different. How so? Um, he's he's very calm, um, very even tempered. Um,
1: doesn't rip cabinets off. Then. Doesn't rip cabinets <laughs> off.
2: Like, you know, just sort of like steady and patient, and you know, and 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 compassionate about things. You know, like. Uh, just understanding like I I'm always like I'm the mess in the relationship right like I'm the one who's having a panic attack well, somebody's got to do it you know and and he's always just sort of like it's all right like you know it's a very it's a very smooth water good for you um but we I mean we we genuinely just like we enjoy each other like we are buddies we are, yeah like we're best friends like and that sounds so cheesy but, like, well, and people can, I, that's, that's who I want to spend my time with. Well, like, that's right. my and, person.
1: And I think sometimes people can get the thing muddled where it's like, well, wait a minute. You're friends? Like it's, that's not sexy. And it's like, you know <laughs> what? Uh, it's a marriage. You know, you, you better be able to... I think you better be... You better really have a lot of respect for the person and really be friends with them. And yeah. like to spend time with them. Um, and then the other thing I think is that you have to be able to communicate. Yeah. It, ultimately, it's a conversation. If you make, oh, it, yeah. if you make it to 85 it's just, it's going to be talking yeah. (laughs) mostly, you know, the last quarter. I I do.
2: I feel like we, we talk well, you know what I mean? Like we have, we have good conversations. Um, and we do, I mean, we communicate over the big things or whatever, like the things that you have to communicate about. But I think part of our enjoyment of each other is that, We still, you know, we have good, we have these good conversations. Like when we go, like there's always the couple who like when they finally have a date night, they go out and they're like, they just kind of talk about the kids and like they've run out like, but we're, you know, we sort of meet as, you know, people with different interests also, like he's not a writer. Um, So, you know, you can sort of, when you've got two different people coming from different disciplines, like there's, you know, there's still stuff there. It's not like we're not just mining the same territory over and over again. Right
1: um yeah i often wonder how people who because i mean it can totally work you can have two writers in a relationship but i'm like oh my god if my wife was doing this too (laughs) and i'm doing a podcast talking to writers i would i think my head would explode it's a lot i mean i
2: I think the balance it's like the you know like i said with the balance when i was working in advertising of like two different like the different things like doing one thing during the day and then being able to do something else later on yeah works out better
1: so and you you know you had these kids and then I take it that probably put a a wrench in trying to get writing work done at least for a few years
2: um it did I I mean I was still writing I was writing when my older son was was little but not a lot and then I started writing more um when my second son was born I left work for a little bit and I went um I went back and finished my master's finally. Um, cause I kind of wanted to switch careers. I wanted to be done working full time in advertising and go, you know, teach at college. Think I was at that point was thinking being an adjunct is great.
1: <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> that lasted like, a few years. And then I was like, being an adjunct is awful. Um, but I, you it's know, I beauty. finished, I finished the degree so that I could, so I had the credentials to go do that. Mm-hmm. um, and then I was I was writing I I was writing more I joke sometimes about some of the stories in my first book were written while feeding while feeding a baby you know typing with one hand and
1: it's you know but it's so weird you know. uh, before my son was born uh, in July like I'm a person like seven or eight hours of sleep I like that. I'm I guess, shamelessly I, like that.
2: I I do like some sleep. Yeah,
1: I mean, like that. I'm not in a competition to you know to yeah. let you know how many how few hours of sleep I got the night before, but now that he's here, um, I've been sleeping three or four hours a night, and yeah. normally that would just crush me, but something about having the new baby, I think there's something biological to it because I'm doing way better than I should be.
2: Yeah, it, it's funny because when I think about it now. I think having a newborn at you know at 23 or 28 or whatever and I like I totally remember those nights of just being like you know there's some nights where you where you luck out and you're up once or twice and it's fairly quick and there's some nights where you're just up all night. Yeah. And I think I would not want to do that at 42. I'm 40. <laughs> I think yeah I'm so like sometimes I'm like I'm so glad I did that in my 20s yeah. when well, you know, when like, I could hack it cuz I don't like, know if I could hack it now.
1: Well I'm like I, this is what I was just saying to a friend of mine cuz like I have always exercised and I've I've eaten fairly well and I feel like I I'm like glad I did cuz I'm like I'm training if I were if I were right. in shape I feel like I could be fucked right now. Yeah <laughs> like, yeah trying no, it's, to it's it's
2: so much harder than you know than than you think it is sure. uh, you know
1: it's a test but you know it's also there's a lot of joy maybe that's what it is and then also what choice do you have you're not gonna, you don't really have any choice. you to feed the kid he's crying you yeah know? it's four in the morning yeah, we had
2: some great like middle of the night sort of just like staring at each other oh yeah
1: that's you gold know? i had one of those last night where i'm like yeah. okay i'm up hey, we're you. in the dark and you're looking down and notice just, he's just like looking up at me and i'm like all right and then it <laughs> makes it all worth it yeah <laughs> um so uh your tattoo yeah Says yes. On, I have on... yes and no. Okay, so you have yes and no on the insides of your wrists, like the soft flesh of your wrists. Yeah, on the undersides of your arms. What, what's that all about? Do you mind sharing?
2: Um, no, I I got those recently. <laughs> you could
1: just hold hold up one of your arms to just... respond. <laughs> yes, yes or no.
2: That's partially why I got them. Um, I I got these when uh, when my son turned eighteen. He got his third tattoo. Uh-huh. Um, which he got the first two I had to drive him to New Jersey and like get special permission to for him to get these underage tattoos because in New York they're very strict um, but when he was 18 he got just a regular old tattoo in New York and he he got black flag on the back of his leg like the like the punk band sure and uh, I decided I we were I was like let's go together like this is like a, you know like when I had you it was painful like let's go get tattoos that's painful. That's and- a cool mom thing to do.
1: <laughs> You're definitely in the cool mom so- category.
2: <laughs> so I got I got the yes and no because it, um, actually because it, it because it's like a Ouija board. That was my that was my main inspiration for it.
1: Like even the font or just like the no
2: the font is just like regular tattoo font, but um. You know, ideally, I would also have goodbye somewhere, like a Ouija board, which would be kind of cool. I can't
1: remember the Ouija board. Like, I... it
2: just it had like yes in one corner and no in the other corner, and then like the alphabet. Okay. And then down at the bottom of the board, it said goodbye. Like when the spirit is done talking to you, it's just like.
1: You believe in that stuff?
2: Um, I don't know if I actually believe in a Ouija board, but but I mean, I definitely believe in some other realm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. What, like, where are you spiritually? Are you a uh, church person?
2: Um, I mean, I was loosely raised Catholic, so I, and I'm, I'm drawn to all of the weird witchiness of Catholicism, you know, like there's a lot of
0: ceremony, smoke and
2: there's yeah, I mean, there's a, uh, there's an element of Catholicism and I mean, mostly I think it's like, it's non-American Catholicism, right? Like, like South American and Mexican kind of like, you know the fact that there's a female deity is really appealing to me. Yeah. Um, but I'm in no way like a good Catholic, you know,
1: you ever go to church?
2: Um, I haven't in a long time. Okay. Both of my kids made their first communion, but that's literally the last time I went to church. was when my younger son. <laughs> it was son also their his, last communion. Yeah. It was like first, <laughs> that's it. First and last communion. You got one shot kid.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, it's tough. It's like, I think those, those kinds of questions, like it's, I think it can be easy pre-kid to say, I'm not going to do this and I don't care. And you sort of have, and you also, you know, you sort of have a sense of yourself. Um, but then when you have children, uh, it might not necessarily be in the context of church going, but you do, they ask you. Like what happens when you die? And like all of a sudden you're on the, you're on the spot and you got to right. answer these questions and you want to do a decent job of it. So yeah, it sort of forces your hand, you know, to address that stuff. And, um, you know,
2: right. I also, I mean, I wanted them to, aside from that, have a sense of sort of cultural placement, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's such a Catholicism, you know, just like, just like Judaism is like, it's such a cultural thing like it's
1: well, and it, e- it connects you to your roots and your, yeah, and your like ancestors even, yeah even and, if
2: you don't even if you're not like believing on all points like there's something about it that's like you go through these big ceremonies and you know it's always there like even if you're you know even if you are completely lapsed like it's still I don't know, it's somehow it's like genetic yeah so I, I wanted them to have some kind of understanding of that like some kind of foundation of like you know just like yep you're irish like sorry you're also kind of catholic you know right (laughs) (laughs) you're not you can't just like shed that completely it's it's part of it
1: and uh and so but i mean like in terms of the dogma like you're not buying a lot of it no what do you think happens when we die
2: Wow, I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm asking you the kid question. Like, I really don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think anybody does.
1: Maybe some people. I mean, like the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Like, maybe there's people who have, like, gone over and then come back, but, like, were lucid enough when they crossed over to be able to, like, report. But even that seems a little shaky to me.
2: Yeah, I really, like, like, if I had to answer this, like, on a written test, I would just be like...
1: Like that little shrug symbol that everybody uses on Twitter.
2: Yeah, like I don't know, <laughs> I don't, I really like I have no idea. Yeah, I mean I hope that it's at least, um, <laughs> I hope that it's at least like peaceful at that point. Like Jesus Christ, can I not go back to being like a kid? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, just puking. Like like hell would be just like, and now you're six again.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: like, no. <laughs> you know? Oh my god! Well. <laughs>
1: We'll keep our fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming over with a migraine. Thank you. Barfing on the way out yeah. of an Uber. It uh, excellent. It's, it's been fun talking with you. <laughs> Congratulations on the book. Thank you. And I wish you all the best going forward. Thanks. Okay. There you go, guys. Jennifer Pashley. Her novel's called The Scamp. It's out there now from Tin House. Uh, if you want to find her on the uh, internet, her website's jenniferpashley.com. You can also follow her on Twitter. Her handle over there is uh, at
0: Pashtastic.
1: Jennifer Pashley what a lovely uh, guest I shouldn't I'm, I was uh, I've been uh, I swore off saying lovely about female guests but you know what I mean lovely talking with Jennifer thanks to Kill Rock Stars for all the good music be sure to check out killrockstars.com by the way uh, did I just say go check out killrockstars.com now I'm all discombobulated because I used the word lovely I used to always say the lovely and talented. Do you guys remember that, that uh, phase of the podcast? I would introduce female guests by describing them as lovely and talented, and then uh, somebody wrote in and explained to me why that was probably not a good idea, so I discontinued it. And then I just uh, re- you know referred to my time with Jennifer as lovely, and I just want to make sure that anybody out there listening isn't offended. But I used the word lovely. Please don't tweet about that. <laughs> Write a think piece About the word lovely Hey, uh, don't forget about the Other People app This show has its own official app Are you aware of that? The Other People app is free It's available where you get your apps You have an iPhone? Go get it You have an Android? Go get it Free, the Other People app It's the best and most elegant way to listen to this podcast New episodes automatically upload to the app You can download episodes to listen to offline You can favorite your favorite episodes There's also recently been an update to the app brand new edition of the app now available way more uh user-friendly way prettier the other people app you can uh, also sign up for premium right there within the app that gets you access to everything you can stream every single episode you get 50 episodes for free if you want to get access to the other uh, like 350 episodes you want to hear my conversations with writers like cheryl strade david shields edwidge dantica uh tom parada jonathan leatham susan orlean roxanne gay but i already say roxanne gay you know what i'm talking about go sign up for other people premium you can sign up for premium right there within the app and then you just have every single episode at your fingertips whenever you want it wherever you go the other people app the app itself is free sign up for premium that is not free but it costs as little as 75 cents a month it's a great way to support the show i'm still caffeinated i don't know what my purpose in life is is this my purpose in life I need to remind myself that uh, I'm going to sleep again This is just a a temporary phase of my life And it just feels at times like it's never going to change Like I'm never going to get out of this uh, spiral of sleep deprivation And this kind of like low-grade panic of like Oh god, I'm not getting anything done, I'm worthless My brain feels like mashed potatoes I'm not functioning at a level that seems like uh, It would be described as professional I'm a walking zombie but it's, gonna, it's only temporary. Everything goes by, and I will miss this one day. I'll look back on this with a uh, deep fondness. A heartbreaking longing. The days when my son was a newborn. I was up all night with him. We have a way of uh, getting nostalgic about this stuff. I'm living in it now. I need to appreciate it. I'm not complaining. Please remember that Pericles died of plague and Ambrose Bierce was wounded at Kennesaw Mountain. That's it for now. That's the program, folks. We've reached the conclusion of the program. I do want to take a moment to thank Jennifer Pashley. Go get her novel, The Scamp. It's her debut novel. Always great to support a debut. Jennifer Pashley, The Scamp, available now from Tin House. Go get a copy. Buy a copy for a friend. Are you a billionaire? Buy thousands of copies. Send this thing to the bestseller list give your money away indiscriminately that is my advice for anybody who's got just a shit ton of money give it away indiscriminately anybody who needs it give it away we need more of that don't wait just give it away right now give it away go ahead you can do it I have faith in you (laughs)